All right, for those of you that are in here, we're going to go ahead and get started. This is our second to last session, um, Playing with Fire. Although we are covering the last book of the Bible in our second to last session. But the way the schedule fell, we'll be covering the book of Revelation today. And then Pastor Ron will, will finish up in three weeks, the last Sunday of 2012, uh, with the Gospels and Acts. So we have covered the entire Old Testament, all the genres there. And we have covered the epistles in the New Testament. Today we're going to dive into to Revelation. How many of you have read through the entire book of Revelation, you think? You've read it all the way through? Alright, good. Well then, you know everything about it and I don't need to talk about it. It's because it's just, you've got it. You, you took care of it. <laughs> Revelation, why is our Christian culture, why is even the outside culture, why is Hollywood enamored with Revelation? Apocalypse now hasn't happened. End times. That was like that was in stereo. That was crazy. Zombies. Yeah. What's that? Mayan calendar. Yeah. How many days do we have left? Twelve. Twelve days in the Mayan calendar. All right. Battle between good and evil. Yeah. These, these things uh, all come to, to play in in Revelation. We've got. How many of you have owned a like chart, like an end times chart? Anybody? Yeah, my my brother has this like vintage one posted on the wall that has like eerie, scary creatures with dragons and horns and heads and and all these things mapped out. Very, very interesting stuff that the world and the Christian world has been enamored with Revelation. And so we need to talk about it quickly today. It's just an overview. Um, I, I was able to read through it in two days. Uh, this week and just able to do something I've never really done before and that's see um, how it all connects and see words and themes that run throughout the book. So we'll talk about that in a bit, but boy do we ever need to pray before we dive into this. So uh, let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for this morning and the encouragement um, from Sean and Laura and from Mario and Lancy. Thank you for um, being able to worship you together with uh, our brothers and sisters. Lord, pray this morning that if anyone here... Um, did not know you, or anyone in this room maybe does not know you, that they would be moved by uh, the music and the words and the message, that their um, mind would be engaged with the question of whether or not they know Jesus Christ and whether or not they are headed to an eternity with Him. Father, I pray that that would um, be the most important question to be asked today. And Lord, you, you tell us through the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians that we are to test ourselves. And uh, Lord, we, we ask that we would pass the test. And we pray for those who who test themselves and, and find doubts and skepticism, that they would not run from you, but run to you. And Lord, we, we thank you for the book of Revelation. It is, uh, it is mysterious, and um, it is difficult in places to interpret, but Lord, we, have, we find so much, uh, so many riches and a wealth of knowledge that is useful for us and practical. So we pray this morning that you'd help us to just to begin to scratch the surface of, of how we interpret and how we read the book of Revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you've got your notes uh, right there in front of you. If you don't have notes, Brian's in the back. So could you raise your hand if you, don't, if you didn't get any notes? All right, we've got two hands, Brian. Fred and Joshua, I believe. Right there. There we go. Oh, some introductory thoughts that we need to discuss. Uh, I narrowed these down from a lot more because there were so many things to say. But the first point is don't avoid revelation. Don't avoid Revelation. Um, this is all too often uh, avoided. In fact, um, one author said, 
uh, Revelation may be uh, right up there with Leviticus as the least read book in the Bible. Um, we, we often talk about Revelation and hear about Revelation, but I don't know how often we actually go to it and read it. And I think that is uh, readily available from all the misinterpretations and just horrible uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation. So don't avoid it. And, and look at the third verse of the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Only book in the Bible that has a specific blessing at the beginning of the book. If you read this, you will be blessed. Um, So this is an encouragement for us to dive into the book of Revelation. But don't forget the second half of that verse. Who keep what is written in it. It is not a call merely to more knowledge about Revelation so that we can get into more debates about amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, pre-trib and post-trib and all that kind of stuff. Um, that is important to, to know and be able to, to interact with, but we want to, to make sure that we're keeping what is written in it, not just filling our minds with what is written in it. Um, scripture is meant to transform our lives, not just our brains. Uh, the second bullet point there is that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not write, did not write to deliberately confuse and sadden, but to encourage and uplift. Okay, so, so, so this is not like John taking up a pen. He's an old, he's an old guy. He's on an exiled island. He's not t- taking like this opportunity. You know what? I really need to just confuse the people of God. I need to help them doubt their faith. I need them to misunderstand what's going on at the end. I need to confuse them. Um, That is not the case. Uh, If you read through the book, sure, there are stuff that's hard to understand. And yet there is definitely um, a a move to encourage and to uplift in the book of Revelation. And so don't avoid it and don't miss that it's there to encourage and to uplift. And what we can know from Revelation, third bullet point, is clearer and more important than what we can't know. So this is the problem with Revelation. We go into the book and we say, oh, I don't understand any of this. I can't read it. I don't. And, we, and we give up when there are so many things in the book that are clear, that are forthright. Uh, chief among them, Jesus wins. And there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. Um, that is very clear. And with the gospel shared throughout the book and we see the end of the story, um, that clarity is more important Okay, then maybe some of the enigmas that we run into in the middle of the book. Basically saying, none of the enigmas in the mystery get in the way of understanding the main point of what is going on in the book of Revelation. So, what we can know is clearer. Okay? And we can understand, we can, we can know it, and it's more important than what we can't know. Fourth bullet point. Um, try to leave your theological assumptions and cultural baggage at the door. And I don't mean to just trash everything you've been taught your entire life. I just mean that it's sometimes it's very easy to go into the book of Revelation thinking you already know all that you need to know and are not willing to learn. Um, I tried to do this this week as I read through the book of Revelation and there were so many things that popped off the page because I think so often we focused on little bits and pieces, more the, the fun, exciting, you know, fire from heaven kind of passages and, and skipped understanding the whole of it. And so... Not dump your theological assumptions, but, but try to leave that stuff at the door, read through the book, be informed, uh, come back and go grab your stuff as you leave, and then do that every time you come to the book of Revelation. Um, that we don't come in so hardened in our positions that we aren't willing to hear from the Spirit of God. 
And lastly, approach the reading of the book of Revelation with the utmost humility. With the utmost humility. Uh, none of us are, are really uh, attracted to or fond of um, high-minded, haughty, self-centered people that think they know it all. So don't be one of those people when it comes to Revelation. Um, be okay with not knowing. Be okay with discovering new things. Um, so we need to approach this with humility. And I want to do that this morning. So I'm not going to solve the book for you. I'm just hoping to, to open your eyes a little bit more to some, some helpful ways to read the book or to hear someone else teach you um, the book. So let's talk about the genre. That's what we've been doing for the last uh, two or three months is talking about genre, the type uh, of, of a genre that is here is interesting. <laughs> and the, the first point there is the genre of Revelation is known as apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. So it comes from the word apocalypse. In the Greek, that means revealing. Um, and so that's the, the very first word of the book of Revelation, uh, the apocalyptic. And so this genre is distinct from all the other genres, and yet it mixes some genres together. So take a look at your notes there, these uh, subpoints. You can see examples of apocalyptic literature in Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, and in some parts of Isaiah. So this is not the only place in the scripture where we, where we find this genre um, of writing, where we see the style, where we see the symbols and the numbers. There are other places in the scripture. Another good thing to know about the genre is it arose uh, in the intertestamental period, meaning in between the end of the writing of the Old Testament and the writing of the New Testament, in between the time where God did not speak to his prophets for 400 years before John the Baptist came on the scene. It was in this time that groups um, that were oppressed and or persecuted began to develop this genre, um, borrowing from other genres in the Roman Empire and then adding a Jewish um, spin to things. And so uh, you're, you're actually able to, to see some of these. The Apocalypse of Peter, for example, is an important one. Um, it's not scripture, but it helps us understand what types of things people were thinking and writing about at the time. Um, very similar wording and style to the book of Revelation. Uh, Subpoint three, apocalyptic literature relies heavily on symbols, numbers, and vivid imagery. Symbols, numbers, and vivid imagery. And we'll get to some more of that here in a minute, minute. but no doubt that other books of the Bible have this in them. Um, But for the most part, the apocalyptic literature is filled with these things, just filled uh, with symbols, numbers, and vivid imagery. The next subpoint: apocalyptic imagery is often more like fantasy than reality. Um, this is unlike Jesus's imagery. So, if you read through the Bible, you see lots and lots of good teachers um, using uh, imagery. The Psalms are full of images to help us connect with theological points. Um, Jesus is the master storyteller, and he uses parables and he uses imagery. The imagery in the book of Revelation is different in the sense that it's almost exaggerated. Um, and so you're like more of a fantasy um, style uh, of, uh, of genre. So think, look at this Revelation. There's multi-headed beasts. There's a woman clothed with the sun. There's horse-like locusts. There's all these kinds of things, exaggerated, big, meant for an IMAX screen and 3D kind of images. Jesus uses many images, but his are, are, are more down-to-earth, right? Salt, bread birds, these kinds of things that he uses to to convey. So Jesus is going, see this in your normal life? It's like this. In apocalyptic literature, 
It's like, this is normal life, and boom, to make a point, this is crazy fantasy exaggeration to make the point of the end and of the apocalypse coming. And so we see a difference in imagery uh, in this genre. The next point there, apocalyptic is cryptic to us, but this is a quote um, from Playing With Fire, the book that we're using, but it was a beloved genre readily recognizable in the first century. There were um, several apocalypses being distributed and going about and being spread, especially through the Jewish community, but even um, past that. So the apocalyptic is cryptic to us, um, but it was a beloved genre. They loved apocalyptic literature and the genre. And so we are separated again by a culture where that's not the case. Um, we, we have trouble with this because we, we, don't, we don't connect with their apocalyptic literature. Now, we can, we can recognize some of our movies and books that come out today that are similar to this, um, but the culture is so different that that's often where the problem comes in us understanding and interpreting uh, apocalyptic literature. This next point is very important, and this is a quote from um, Walt Russell in, in his book, Playing With Fire. Revelation is a prophetic account in letter form of the ultimate ending of this age in apocalyptic terms that are culturally foreign to most of us. In other words, this biblical book is a creative blending of the three genres of apocalyptic, prophecy, and epistle. So we've started the epistles, the letters um, that uh, disciples and apostles wrote to the churches. We studied that last time. We studied prophecy when we were in the Old Testament. And so there's this mishmash combination of these three genres to form the book of Revelation, which makes Revelation a very unique uh, book in the apocalyptic genre. Uh, one difference you'll see in the next point between prophecy and apocalyptic is that prophets were mainly told to speak. So although their words did get written down, generally the Lord spoke to his prophets and said, you know, thus says the Lord, speak this to the king, speak this to the royal palace, speak this to the people. John and other apocalyptic writers were told to write. And so we see specifically that, that John several times in the book of Revelation is told, write this down, write this down, write this down. Um, and so that is specifically and explicitly the case with apocalyptic literature is that it was written down and to be distributed and sent out. Look at the next point. The epistle flavor is tasted mainly in chapters 1 through 3. So you see in chapters 1 through 3, uh, uh, there's seven letters to the churches, right? In chapters 2 and 3, we see Philadelphia and Sardis and Laodicea and those churches receiving a letter. So that's very explicitly an epistle from John to the churches. But also, throughout the book, in the constant theme of encouragement. The constant theme of encouragement. So when you read First and Second Peter, and we read the, the letters of Paul, and we read the other epistles in the New Testament we see a lot of encouragement going on from the apostles, from their emissaries to the churches saying, be encouraged, brothers. No doubt they would criticize and they would go at points that need to be corrected, but there was always encouragement coming from the apostles. And so even that throughout the whole stretch of Revelation reveals more of the epistle genre, the more of the flavor of the epistle throughout the letter, the book. Uh, your next uh, section here is the context. The context of Revelation. Again, we've gone back to this again and again. This is incredibly important. Um, something that, that's different about this apocalypse than almost all other apocalypses, sorry, <laughs> is that the Apostle John is clearly identified as the writer. So throughout the book, John 
the follower of Jesus is identified as the writer. Most apocalypses from this time are, are anonymous, which makes it a lot easier to write it because <laughs> you don't put your name to it. Um, but John puts his name on this and through the Spirit of God speaks to the people. So that's uh, one part of our context. Now, that also relates to the fact that John wrote a good chunk of the rest of the New Testament as well. So if we know that the Apostle John wrote Revelation, we can go back to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the Gospel of John to compare. If this is the same guy writing, um, that we need to see how he writes and we can compare how he writes in the, in the epistles uh, to the churches in his Gospel and in the Apocalypse, which is great because we actually get all three genres of the New Testament with the Apostle John. We see him writing in all three of them. Uh, it's probably written around 95 to 96 A.D., uh, and the Roman Emperor Domitian was instituting persecutions against Christians across the empire. Um, some of the first major um, persecutions, even greater than that of Nero, had spread across the empire under the Emperor Domitian right around this time. Uh, as we find out from the book of Revelation, Paul, Paul, John is in uh, exile on the island of Patmos, uh, off the shore of what we now call Turkey. Um, on an island, he's in exile. You can find pictures of this in a Bible dictionary. It's just a barren rock in the middle of the water, um, a perfect place for exile. And that's where John is. Um, fairly reliable tradition has it that he is there because of Domitian, trying to expel him and his influence from, um, from Asia. And so puts him on the rock, as it were. Uh, last point in the context, knowledge of the Old Testament is key. There are more than 300 quotes or allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So you have quotes. Those are easy. If you've got a study Bible especially, it just, boom, shows you where that's coming from in the Old Testament. But there are allusions that almost all Bibles will not directly take you to where if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll feel the flavor, you'll see the phrasing, and it starts to bring back um, a lot of what you've learned in the Old Testament. So knowledge of the Old Testament is key to understanding Revelation. It's absolutely necessary. And not just because knowing the, the flow of the story, but seeing um, the apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament, right? Daniel, Ezekiel, and Zechariah, parts of Isaiah, as we mentioned before, are really helpful to begin to get comfortable with this weird kind of out-there genre, to begin to, to feel our way through it. So that's some of the contextual um, help that we need. The structure is actually fairly simple, although not all are agreed on this. Um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you open to Revelation 1, Real quick, if you don't have one, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Revelation chapter 1. And again, not all Bible scholars take this to be the way to divide up the book, but it seems to me that this would be a helpful way to see the book divided up. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus, in all of his glory, is standing before John. John is on his face before Jesus. And the Lord says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Um, this is similar to uh, verse 1, the things that must soon take place is mentioned there. So one way that we could structure the book is the things that you have seen would be chapter 1, where, where John relates Jesus appearing to him um, on Patmos in a vision on the Lord's day. Uh, it could be argued very clearly that those things that are, in verse 19, refer to chapters 2 and 3, where John writes to the seven churches. 
And so these are the things that are, they're immediate. Now, there are some promises for the future, but most of what's happening is this is what's going on in your church, and this is what needs to be corrected, or this is what you're doing well. Now, turn in your Bible to chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. This is right after the letter to the church at Laodicea. And John relates, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And the phrasing there is exactly what you see in chapter 1, verse 19, indicating that from chapter 4 on, we are talking about the things that are to happen after this. We've talked about the things that he has seen, we've talked about the things that are, and now we're going to see the things that are to take place after this. So if you have that understanding of the structure, that really helps. Where are we in the book of Revelation? And how are we to understand what's being said? And that's super helpful, especially as you read through the seven letters to the churches. And then there's a distinct transition in chapter 4 to mostly prophecy of the future. All right. Interpretive issues. Here's where we'll play with a few fun things that have to do with how we talk about Revelation. And I'm going to have to fly. But because uh, Revelation uses the number seven so often, and for so many important reasons, I decided to put seven interpretive issues. There clearly are many, many more than seven. Number one, this part of God's word is not primarily to satisfy our curiosity about the end times, but rather to encourage us to persevere in faithfulness during the hard times. Again, that's a quote from Dr. Russell. This part of God's word is not primarily to satisfy our curiosity about the end times, but rather to encourage us to persevere in faithfulness during the hard times. This is a key mistake that is made. As we get curious, as we're wont to do, and it's okay, that's good, God created us that way, but sometimes our curiosity carries us away, and we end up on the internet on some crazy person's website, they're talking about revelation, and we've completely departed from the scriptures, and we're all in the realm of speculation. This is not written just to satisfy curiosity. God wasn't like, well, I guess the people kind of want to know how things are going to end, so I'll give them kind of a cryptic message at the end of the book and kind of have fun with them so they can kind of figure it out. No, it's a clear message to us um, that we are to persevere. You'll see that throughout the book. It it comes back to it um, explicitly and implicitly that the message is to persevere in faithfulness during hard times. Number two, don't lose the centrality of Jesus. That sounds obvious, but in chapter 1, Jesus shows up in several different ways, including one that floors his friend John. Just think of that. John spent three years with Jesus. He knew him. They went on you know, a three-year road trip together. Um, he was sent out by Jesus. They were, John was the apostle or disciple Jesus loved. So John knew Jesus. And Jesus shows up in his room, and John's on the floor. Because this is a little bit different Jesus. Um, this is glorified resurrection body. Um, I'm in heaven ruling and reigning Jesus, deciding to show up in his glory. So there's Jesus, this great picture of him, and he continues to show up. He's praised and blessed and mentioned throughout the book and then makes a big appearance at the end as well. So don't lose the centrality of Jesus in the book. <laughs> this book is not primarily about Satan or the Antichrist. We get so, who's the Antichrist? You know, in the 80s it was... Ronald Reagan, because he's, you know, Ronald Wilson Reagan. It was 666, right? We had Gorbachev, and that thing on his forehead was growing to encompass the world. And, uh, you know, Nero was, was considered even an Antichrist, even before the book of Revelation was written. So throughout history, we've been fascinated with trying to find out who the Antichrist is. The book of Revelation is not about the Antichrist. It's about Jesus. That's who it's about. 
It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we ought to not lose the centrality of Jesus. Number three, it is a mistake to only look for future events in the book of Revelation. It is a mistake to only look for future events in the book of Revelation. Key word there being only. Okay, key word being only. Uh, If we only view it as the key to unlock the mysteries of the end, um, then we are missing a lot of what is in the book for us. In fact, the first verse of the book says that he's telling, God's telling his people these things that must soon take place. So that it ought not to be way off in the future that we ought to be thinking of not only the imminence of Christ's return, but these things that we see lived out and fleshed out in the book of Revelation ought to be on our minds in front of us, not just speculation for some timeline. So we ought to be careful. Now, I do want to balance that with number four. It is a mistake to see all of Revelation as already having occurred. And this is a view that, that's called the preterist view. Um, it says that everything in Revelation has already happened. Um, and th- I think this is a mistake to see this because it lessens the force of, of the book of Revelation. And, and I think this view is wrong and I think it's harmful. And you will see it out there as, as one uh, view of probably four or five of how to interpret the book of Revelation. But we've got to be careful... Um, that, that we don't do this. I think we lose the force of the prophecies. We lose the force of the numbers and the symbols. Number five, don't overestimate or underestimate numbers. I've got several numbers there that are used throughout the book in multiple ways. And then I say get help. <laughs> this is because we're not part of this culture. We don't take numbers in the same way. Um, numbers who had a very high uh, were, were held in very high esteem as symbols. Um, they meant things inherently um, in the ancient world. And so this is where you've, you've got to grab hold of a Bible dictionary or a study Bible or a commentary. Um, again, they're not the final be-all and end-all of what's going on, but a lot of times their research can help us decide, well, what's the big deal about three? Why seven? What's going on with 666? Which, you know, we all want to know that one. Uh, what's, what's the deal? So don't overestimate or underestimate numbers. So don't make them everything about the book of Revelation, but don't kind of ignore them because they're like, I don't know what that's about, and we just skip over them. Get help from uh, a good resource. Number six, don't lose the forest for all the trees, or don't get bogged down in all the details. So too often, I think, we look at a, a scripture in Revelation and we try to define every single little thing about the sword in the guy's hand and the sash across his, his uh, clothing. And, and no doubt that we do need to dig into the scriptures and look at the details, but too often I think we get into the details and miss the big point. We miss the major points by trying to get so caught up in little, little details. Um, so don't, don't forget the details, but don't get bogged down in them that you miss the overall point of what's going on. And then number seven, I, I phrase this particularly for the church in America. Study and dialogue with sane, and I mean that, sane, trusted, interactive people and resources. This is going to take um, community. This means you find something about the book of Revelation and something rubs you the wrong way and you go check with another believer. Check with someone else who also has the Spirit of God. Um, Look at people that are willing to hear other views and willing to consider them. That's what I mean by interactive. If someone says, I have the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, God might have helped me, then stay away. Be very careful because they've determined that they know every single thing about the book of Revelation 
that is a dangerous place to be. A very dangerous place to be. So, study and dialogue. Oh, wow. Um, we've gone through the uh, steps to, to understanding the scriptures, and we've, we've very clearly and simply defined them as observation, interpretation, and application. Wanting to do uh, our work in the right way, um, in the right places. And so, we have a few um, instructions here for practical process. Most of these are similar or tweaked from some of our other um, lessons on the different genres of the scriptures, so you can be familiar with them. And apparently, I forgot to do a second point for the a second sub point for the third point under C. It just says what. So that's a fun one. You can just make that up as you go along and insert whatever question you'd like to insert about uh, application. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, um, so we need to break up into our groups as we've been doing. Um, so. Uh, adults, you'll stay in here and work with Pastor Ron through, Re- through Revelation 13, 1 through 9. 1 through 10, sorry, 1 through 10. And we don't have a lot of time again, and we do have um, our business meeting to, to deal with after this, so I apologize for how brief this is going to have to be. But go dive in for a brief time and then let that encourage you as you go into the week, and maybe Revelation is what you need to study this week.